The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. This is Michael Drake, Chancellor at the University of California, Irvine, and whenever I get the urge to hear the voice of independent music, I tune in to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine or over the web at KUCI.org. Good, good morning. You're listening to KUCI. It's Ask a Leader, and today we are going to open up things with pledge drive discussions and what else is going on about you. But first... Um, we're going to open up the show as usual with uh, some television uh, material. Uh, we're going to have Mel Rogers, president and CEO of uh, the public broadcasting system of Southern California, used to be known as KOCETV. And we're also going to have David Joyner. He is an actor and overall entertainer with a background that would surprise you as much as would most of his, his most famous role he's performed. But we'll be right back in just a bit and bring you some content that I hope you'll enjoy. And just before we make a quick station break, I wanted you to think about some numbers today. The first number is, today is a palindrome date, 11-1-11. And later in the month, we're going to have 11-11-11 palindrome. And I don't know, folks, you can work on the numbers out there, but I don't know how often you get two palindrome dates in one month. Think about that. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then the last number for everybody. Oh, no, the second number is 7 billion. Want to welcome the newest addition to the planet, the 7 billionth baby born sometime between now and our census data says maybe later in uh, March of 2012, but it's close. So I want to welcome that 7th billionth person on the planet. The last number for consideration before we really kick off Ask a Leader on KUCI-FM is $10,000. That is $10,000, the amount we need to raise today at your community radio, KUCI. So stay tuned. Thanks for joining us today on KUCI. We have as our fit, our first guest on Ask a Leader, Mel Rogers, President and CEO of the Public Broadcasting System of Southern California, formerly known as KOCETV. This station in Orange County is now the Southern California um, affiliate here for uh, PBS. Uh, Mr. Rogers was born in Rigby, Idaho, and was raised in San Bernardino, California, and Draper, Utah. He's married to Marcia Anderson Rogers, an English professor at Orange Coast College, and they're parents of two adult children. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Mel Rogers. 
Welcome to Ask a Leader, Mel Rogers. I'm sorry you missed that introduction. I just hadn't quite turned you on all the way. I just gave an introduction about your your bit of your background in the Southwest and um, your your title now. Uh, you've been there since 1997. Things must be a bit different since then. Uh, very different, obviously. Uh, ownership has changed. We were part of the Coast Community College District back in those days, and uh, very different uh, station then than it is now. Very different. Well, I don't know where we want to start. Um, I my I think desired start was where you made a captivating kind of a sort of a statement a mantra mission uh, at a recent event uh, here at UCI where you said that public broadcasting is a media for citizens instead of media for consumers that really struck a chord with me and I think the general audience so um, I think that's a lovely thing to say about public broadcasting why it's important we need to keep broadcasting public well, it's it's really important, um, especially because of what has occurred uh, in the commercial media over the years. Um, you know, we all use commercial media every day, and we all have our, our favorite things and our guilty pleasures. What we fail to realize is whether we're watching a news show or a news channel or some other kind of program, um, every one of those shows exists because it can deliver an audience at a certain level and thereby make money. Uh, new shows on commercial TV don't exist to inform the public. Uh, the History Channel doesn't exist to give you history. They now have ancient aliens and ice uh, or, or, or pond stars and, and things like that. Uh, Bravo uh, was created to be high-minded uh, programming and arts, and now it's just uh, dumbed down to nothing but uh, kind of crass reality shows. Uh, you, you have uh, uh, tra very little travel on the Travel Channel, and and then, and then on the news channels, you, you can find, if you hate the president, you have your channel. If you love the president, you have your channel. And, you, you know, and, and then uh, television news has devolved into movie star stories and pet stories and then um, sensational blood and guts. And that's all occurred because uh, there was deregulation in the media a number of years ago that allowed them to not serve the public interest anymore, but just allowed uh, all of the media to exist only to make money. And, of course, they now have people meters that measure the audience minute by minute, which makes it much easier to determine what holds an audience and what doesn't. And, sadly, uh, the more crass, uh, lower-end things do hold the audience. And, and uh, maybe you found out this morning that if your uh, goal in life has been to uh, keep up with the Kardashians, uh, you've just been played. I missed out on that. What was that late-breaking news? Because I well, seem to always the, be missing. The, the, the um, amazing Kardashian wedding, which... Uh, uh, a good hunk of America tuned into, and that was a wonderful, exciting, beautiful, romantic uh, uh, heartstrings experience. Uh, happened two and a half months ago, and the announcement of the uh, divorce uh, is, was uh, came out uh, last night. Well, uh, so uh, they're now getting divorced. Mel, so, Ro Mel they, Rogers, I didn't see that coming on Ask a Leader that uh, the, the K the K family the K factor would enter in. So you really you really scooped me and swept me out. Well, of the point is. That <laughs> They, they turned their wedding into a money maker and something that would generate a lot of revenues, and uh, and it did, and everybody got very excited. But uh, you know the the real commitment to um, to the marriage that the wedding is supposed to be about obviously wasn't there because um, uh, they're not uh, going to be married soon. Wow. Well, um, I so let's move into then. Speaking of uh, expansion and uh, tuning into the public and all that, you've then moved with KOCE-TV to PBS SoCal from like about a, mil a three million 
uh, or a few more, I mean, that beyond Orange County, but 3 million population based to upward of maybe more of like 18 to 20 million. So how does how do you adjust and shift to that much larger public? Well, we, we always had a pretty um, healthy audience even around <clears throat> the market in L.A., but our focus was Orange County because Orange County we saw and still see as a, as a very distinct uh, community that is underserved by uh, the L.A. news media. And uh, so our, our efforts were to um, unite Orange County and bring Orange County together. And this uh, 3 million population in Orange County is very unique. And uh, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing uh, community and uh, something that we um, ha- have a lot of affection for. But, of course, when uh, KCET uh, determined that they weren't going to be a PBS station anymore, uh, the obligation to do the job of being the PBS station for all of the region uh, fell upon us. And uh, with that, all of a sudden, we found that we need to grow a great deal. Uh, We need to expand our efforts uh, far beyond Orange County. And while our headquarters can continue to be here, um, we need to have uh, facilities beyond. You know, we've been so involved in the Orange County schools. Uh, We've had 420,000 students enrolled in our uh, PBS SoCal education here. But we need to expand that now to the rest, the rest of the market. Um, we now have the responsibility of being the largest preschool in Southern California, helping uh, Southern California children getting ready to learn to get ready to learn before they enter kindergarten with the terrific PBS kids shows we air in the morning. And the responsibilities that go along with that to outreach to daycare providers and preschools and make sure that uh, the children are, are, can find us and, and can, can see that. And, and, of course, we're Southern California's largest stage for the arts and, and, and the one place where you can get trusted news and information. So uh, we've got this huge responsibility, and we have to grow. And uh, the big challenge right now is to, to grow in a hurry uh, rather than growing incrementally, uh, which is um, uh, not, I think, going to be sufficient because there's a lot of need out there uh, throughout the market. Indeed. I'm, I'm glad that we get a chance to talk to you as you keep doing this. St- all started in January when you started the growing process. And so you're now, not, well, it's, it's a gestation period. <laughs> so, exactly. So what is the focus of your programming going to be? Now, you talk about growing, but what's, what's the programming going to um, evolve into from what had previously been serving Orange County? Well, the, the local content we used to create and, and still create to some degree uh, has been focused on Orange County with Real Orange, with Inside yes. OC. We have a digital channel that is still a mostly Orange County content called the OC Channel, which uh, you can find on Channel 235 on, uh, if you're a Time Warner customer, uh, you can find it on 810 if you're a Cox customer, uh, Channel 810, and you can find it on 50.2 over the air. Uh, and that's a separate channel from PBS SoCal, and it's got a lot of Orange County content, uh, and, um, and it's a, t- a terrific channel. And that's going to stay, and that's going to continue. But we have to start creating content in two realms. Uh, one, we have to cre- create regional content about Southern California and uh, that, that cover uh, Southern California's issues. And we need to create, uh, with our obligation as a PBS station, I think, national content that tells the stories of America uh, from the Western perspective. You know, there's a huge Absolutely. East Coast bias if you watch PBS. Uh, WGBH, WNET, WETA, the big producing stations are back there. 
And somebody needs to uh, create for the nation uh, the view of, of America from this part of, of, the, of, of the world. And we really uh, think that we're the ones that need to step up and assume that obligation. Well, one also could argue that uh, with the Tribune's ownership of the Los Angeles Times, there is a Midwestern perspective. We can see that in energy policy and that kind of a thing. So, uh, well, you certainly you certainly do in in, in commercial media. You're exactly right. Uh, what I was referencing was was just PBS, right? And the, okay, and and the PBS's uh, East Coast. Uh, perspective and uh, and within the PBS family uh, we need to provide the perspective uh, from from out west well we're all lining up to support you on that so we don't lose any ground here in what public media offers and um, I guess we don't have a lot of time uh, today with all the pitching we're doing for uh, the um, KUCI radio station and uh, a little bit of a late start this morning but um, I just wanted to Find out for now your background, Mel Rogers. Um, we're speaking today. My guest is Mel Rogers, president and CEO of PBS SoCal, also known as KOCE TV, to you earlier uh, uh, listeners, watchers, uh, viewers. That um, what your, your background, Mel Rogers, was in uh, journal. Uh, let's see here. We have in international communications and journalism. So for your expansion. And for those that are about the students, my demographic, a part of my demographic listening today and later on the podcast, what are you looking for in your new hires as you're expanding uh, Southern California's station? Well, actually, I'm glad you I'm, I'm glad you brought up both the journalism issue and the, and the demographic issue. Uh, the, what you alluded to earlier of me talking about the importance of using public media, uh, it, even if you're a student, you know, the, the problem public media has in America today is we don't have a lot of money to promote ourselves uh, to the 18 to 35 uh, demographic. And there are a whole lot of smart, uh, substantive human beings, especially at universities in that demographic. They're here. And, and, and they, they don't pay a lot of attention to public media. They stopped watching uh, the kids' shows when they were eight. And they'll come back when they're about 45 and start watching uh, public uh, media again. But the reality is uh, it's really hard now because of what's happened to commercial media to, to fulfill your responsibility as a citizen and to know what's really going on if you don't pay attention to public media, whether you do so on air or online. I know a lot of us get a lot of our news and information from the Internet, and that's great. But as you know, the Internet isn't necessarily the best place to sort fact from fiction. And anybody can put anything on there, and, and it stays forever, whether it's true or not. And you've got to have somebody who's playing it down the middle. Uh, you know, one of the things that has happened in, uh, in journalism and in the industry that I came out of is the, um, uh, you know, the middle doesn't get any attention anymore because they find that what holds the audience is looking at the crazy people on the far right and the far left who are screaming and yelling at each other. Uh, but those people who have the reasonable, balanced, and, and solid solutions for America and our economy and, and, and for, for the Western world and, and the future, uh, those people are, are not living off in either one of those extreme camps. And the only place you're going to hear those people is on public media. You'll hear them on NewsHour, you'll hear them on Washington Week, and you'll hear them locally on the shows that we have now focused on Orange County and the ones we will be creating soon focused on the region. 
and uh, and I think it's really important. Um, even the even the documentaries. If you're a, a college student and you didn't watch Ken Burns' um, Prohibition, you probably should. Uh, because that tells you a great deal, not just about what happened then, but what's going on now and the battle that's raging between the right and the left in, in America. And, um, and uh, my, my big appeal as a former journalist is, uh, even if you're a, uh, an 18, 19, 20, 23-year-old, tune into public media, learn what your responsibilities are as a citizen, well, and find out what's really going on, not what somebody with an agenda is telling you is happening. Well, in the example of what's really going on, do, we, do the 18 to 35-year-olds, are they really waiting till they hit their 40s before they watch something like Frontline, which is riveting? Well, it is, and and frankly, um, the the majority of them are waiting until they're 45 to do that. That's crazy. My wife teaches college English over at or Orange Coast yes. College, and uh, she requires her uh, students to go online and watch Frontline and write papers on them just so they get in the habit of seeing what's there. Frontline might be the most important show on television. Right, and is she finding the little traction in her uh, suggestion and her direction? Well, she is. In fact, she gets a lot of comments from students that say they had no idea. And um, and my, my boyfriend and I sat down and started watching it, and then we watched three more of them. Okay, you know, those good. Kind of things. So good. It's, uh, she is getting traction, but <laughs> sadly, uh, that's not happening everywhere. Well, so uh, we need, we need if, you, if you're not watching Frontline and you're a college student, you really should be, because you're going to learn a lot about what's really happening in the world. It's like a three-blast uh, of uh, espresso to get uh, what's going on there. Well, I hope that that um, after this very brief interview we have today that we'll have an opportunity to check in with you in, let's say, a year or so and find out what's going on. And maybe you'll talk about, uh, you know, opportunities in uh, public media for people that are fine-tuning what they're doing here on campus or uh, what consumers, how best they can... Um, uh, uh, well, let's let's cl close with that. How can a consumer, let's say a citizen, not a consumer, best project to you what it is they want to get out of public media. Well, here's what you need to do. Um, you're having a fun drive right now? We are starting yeah. it right now at George Rosales kicks it off uh, officially at 10, but I'm going to give it lip service, and some have earlier than me. Well, here's, here's one of the things that we've found out in, in psychology. Uh, people um, tend to be uh, committed not to what does for them, but to what they sacrifice for. Uh, we all sacrifice for our kids, and we're totally committed to them. If you sacrifice for public media, if the people who listen to KUCI, uh, KUCI, right here. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, that's I, fine. 88.9 FM. KUCI is my favorite institution. I apologize for no, that's fine. stumbling on that. But uh, people who listen to KUCI, if they will support KUCI, then they'll want to know where their money went and what it was for, and then they'll listen more to KUCI, and they'll develop a habit of getting into public media, and then they'll realize that they have a right to tell you what they want to see and what they want to hear and what's important to them, and they'll start developing a wonderful habit of supporting public media, and someday, uh, as, as they move along in their careers and, and, and in building their families and, and things, they're going to be supporting um, public media wherever they are, and uh, public media will be strong. And uh, and that's the, that's what needs to happen right now. And I, and I don't mean to oversimplify this, it's, but it's really important. The people who are listening to you this morning need to support you, and that's the first step toward helping media dedicated to 
citizenship, not not to consumerism. It couldn't be capped off on a better note. You'd think we were colluding, folks, but we weren't. This was freshly hatched right in the moment. Mel Rogers, I thank you very much for being on our show. Mel Rogers is the CEO and president of PBS SoCal, KOCE previously. And um, good luck with uh, all the the fast-breaking, expanding, slow-moving developments there uh, at your station. And... Um, We'll hope that you can come back on in about a year and, and post us, please. Great. Thanks. I'm oh. looking forward to it. All right. Thank you very much. We are going to be back in just a little bit to hear from uh, another person affiliated with the uh, the television media, and uh, that would be with uh, David Joyner, actor and entertainer, who brings a special range of experience in his work over the decades. So stay tuned. guest this portion of the hour is David Joyner. That is David Joyner, the actor, entertainer, mannequin man, dancer, purple dinosaur, drummer, preacher, motivational speaker, hip-hop, bear, dancing teddy bear. He's our guest for this portion of the show. David Joyner, welcome to Ask a Leader. Well, thank you for having me on, Claudia. Well, you've had quite the journey along your way to the um, particular role that many of my guests may be familiar with before we get to that special role. Well, you post us along the way. You were educated in a at a technical institute as the ITT, Technical Institute of Indiana. And Correct. what were you hoping to do then, David Joyner? Well, the goal as a kid uh, was always to get into entertainment. And I grew up in a household where um, Financially, we weren't as comfortable as a lot of other people. So I told my parents, I said, I'm not going to waste your money on a four-year school because I already know what I want to do. I have a vision. I have a goal. I want to be into entertainment full-time, but I have to have an avenue to get there. So the goal was to go to a technical school in a field that I love because I love electronics. I love taking things apart, tinkering with them, trying to figure out how they work, and then trying to put it back together. I used to build uh, transistor radio kits, all these little kits as I was a kid. And I also used to uh, troubleshoot and fix television sets. So I said, I want to go to a tech school, learn a craft, learn, get an associate's degree in that, get a good job, work for at least five years, and then quit to get into entertainment full time. Of course, you tell your parents that, and they're thinking, okay, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Right. But, and that's exactly what I did. Took out student loans, went to ITT Tech in Indianapolis, uh, got an honors degree in electronic engineering technology, graduated about a month before my class, and uh, was actually recruited by Texas Instruments and moved down to Dallas, Texas. And even when they were asking me during the interview process, what's my long-term goal, I said, well, I want to be here at least five years and then quit to get into entertainment full-time. Yeah, how did they react to that? Uh, they looked at me like I was crazy. They're like, oh, okay, he's a lifer. He's a lifer. And so when the fifth year came about, I wasn't ready to leave yet. Uh-oh. Because uh, financially I wasn't ready. And so I said, okay, i got to buckle down this last year and get, get ready. And even though, even in school and working for ITT, I was still performing. 
acting, modeling, doing the mannequin man, any and everything I could do to get my face and name out there. And, of course, my, my stage name was Mr. Entertainment, David E. Joyner, the mannequin man. Yeah. <laughs> and so that sixth year, as I uh, got into that sixth year, crazy story, Texas Instruments was about to have a major layoff, and I was... Well, just about what, what let's place that, what, hap- what, what year was that? This was 1990. In the 19, okay, so we all know which recession we're talking about. Yes, and um, the area that I worked in was, uh, we did, dealt a lot with government contracts. So it wasn't a surprise that sometimes people would get laid off because after that contract was over, if there wasn't a new contract in that area, because of course when they got a contract, they would man up with a lot of people. And then once that contract was over, they would have to let some people go. And uh, so I went to my supervisor and asked if he could put my name on the list because I plan on quitting that year. And keep in mind, a lot of people thought, okay, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to perform, entertain, I'm going to act. What do you have lined up? Nothing. (laughs) How are you going to make it? I just know I'm going to make it. And then I started substitute teaching at an acting school for kids. And later on that year, I turned in my two weeks' notice and started working for for, uh, this acting school prior to that and then of course the big call came to audition for you know what but we'll leave that as a surprise we'll leave that we're gonna let the guests the guests just be hungry and thirsty and lurking here with their curiosity so then you were looking at um well there was it was a defining moment when your mother passed away and you had a a sort of a, a spiritual reckoning around her loss in 1994, and you were maybe was that a, a not a U-turn, a, a sort of leg off the trail with looking at a um, a, a theological training. Well, it's uh, it's funny because as I was growing up, I was often always involved in the ministry, and I always knew that that was something that was very endeared to me that I would probably get involved in, but not knowing exactly what call to the ministry it was. And my mom was one of my best friends. We had a great relationship. Uh, We confided in each other with a lot of things. And at the time when my mom got real sick, and I kind of had a feeling that she was going to pass away, I said to myself, wow, this is my best friend that's about to pass. How am I going to, you know, get through this? What's going to happen? And uh, this young lady gave me this book called The Mutant Down Under. The and mutant, when I read this book... The Mutant Down Under. Yes. It's wow. about the Aborigines in Australia and how they their migration. It was, it was one tribe that this woman went down to, to Australia and she got lost in the outback, stranded, and she was with this Aborigine tribe that went through migration period. And they didn't speak vocally. They spoke through telepathy. And... They didn't celebrate birthdays as the day you were born because they felt you didn't do anything to accomplish being, you know, rewarded for another day. Your accomplishments were because of your task, what you did with the tribe, and how you passed that on. So, of course, every mentor had a mentee and a different task that they they did. And whenever that person passed away, they pass spiritually, but also they pass the importance of whatever task they were given to do onto their apprentice. 
so they celebrated the birth of that passing. So when someone died, it was considered their birthday. Like a cultural reincarnation. Exactly. So when I read that, I was like, wow. It was like the light bulb went off. I understood then the whole spiritual aspect of when someone passes. It's not about the death of someone. It's about the life that continues on. Their spiritual journey that lives on with everyone that they've connected throughout the way. And then also, if you're really, really connected to someone, um, I feel emotionally, biologically, there's something that's also inside of you that connects you in a deeper way with that person. And it can persist, therefore. Exactly. My goodness. So this, but this was all in, um, you took that mutant down under um, that aboriginal cultural legacy into a United Methodist Church where you almost were ordained. Yes, yes, I was going through the ordination process, and but yet I was being, I was, I was wrestling with the calling, because um, I do a lot of public speaking and a lot of motivational speaking, and one of the things that I love to do when I speak is I love to do different voices, different characters, to make the, uh, the speaking engagement fun and exciting, and a lot of times I'll interact with a lot of people in the audience. Well... My pastor at the time in Dallas, Texas, um, asked me if I would be his preaching coach. He heard me preach or speak one time uh, for a men's conference, and he asked me if I would be his preaching coach. And I said, yeah, of course. And that turned into a whole seminar with helping United Methodist ministers bring their sermons to life. Because one of the things that I do in my motivational speaking is I'll outline what I want to say. I'll study the, uh, the, uh, the outline, the points of what I want to bring across, and then I just meditate and pray on it, and then whatever comes up at that moment comes up. And a lot of times it's geared toward the energy of the audience because studying kinetic energy and understanding the energy and how energy flows, it's never the same amount or the same type of energy at any given time. It and always changes. And performers always know about that. They're keenly aware <laughs> of that. Well, that kind of came within my electronic background, as you study atoms and energy and electronics and uh, how different frequencies oscillate at different times and different things, you know, all those little, you know, technical terms. Wow. And and so as as I speak, it's all about reading the room because you never want to speak with what you've prepared just by what you've prepared. You want to speak to your audience. Just like right now. Yes. Exactly. So whatever you've prepared sometimes may not even come out exactly like you prepared it. So as you get in the room and you feel the energy in the room and you feel the energy of the audience, then you may only say one or two things that you've pointed out in your outline, and then everything else will come out that the audience will need to hear. And sometimes not only is the audience adapt to what's going on, you yourself as the speaker are hearing it for the first time and going, wow okay and then that even builds even more excitement in the speaking because now you're being amazed by what's coming out of your voice also it's pretty cool too it's it's great so as i was uh helping my pastor and these other united methodist ministers in their preaching um i just felt the calling it was like okay i'm being called to something and of course because i spoke very well a lot of the ministers thought yeah you're going to be a great preacher you're going to be a great pastor So immediately they sent me through the ordination process, and I was scoring high marks on a lot of the process 
that she had to go through, but yet I really wasn't feel like I was being called to a pulpit. And uh, it wasn't until after my divorce that I realized I'm not being called to a church. I'm being called to the ministry and the spirituality of people. Being able to connect with people from all different backgrounds, from all different religious beliefs, or even non-religious beliefs, but on a spiritual level so that we can connect spiritually. And one of the things that I learned from my mother's passing is when you connect with someone's spirit, you connect with that person. You're not connecting with that person based on their values, the way they were raised, or what they think, but you're now connected internally with that person for their spiritual identity. So my purpose is let's try to connect with people spiritually. When you look at someone, don't just look at them on the surface for what they're wearing, who they are, their skin tone, their color, their economic structure. Look at that person. Look deep into that person's eyes and try to connect on a whole spiritual level. And And then you'll find out that there's so many things you have in common with that person. Indeed. And I want, uh, for those listeners who just joined us on uh, Radio KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live on www.kuci.org, is my guest David Joyner, actor-entertainer, mannequin man, and we are at the cusp of disclosing what this purple is all about. So, so David Joyner, in around 2002, you were offered something so extraordinary. I don't know that you would have imagined it uh, in the first, uh, the earliest. Um, Actually, inv- the date's not 2002. It's not 2000. Oh, oops, oh, oh, back up. It was t- 2000, was it? No, 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 it was 1990. It was, not, okay, no, in when the, uh, oh, oh, we've got to go back to 1992. So in 1992, set up what was, uh, what was the offer all about? Well, actually, 1992 is when the mystery first aired on television. Oh. So in 1990, as I was talking about uh, quitting my job and getting into entertainment full-time, um, when this all took place, this was May of 1990, so I go to my calendar, I go to my desk, pull out my calendar, close my eyes, meditate, open my eyes, and my finger lands on September. I said, okay. September it does. What's your finger 28th doing? is my last day. Okay. Okay? So from May to September, of course, trying to get everything in line, getting things together. September 14th, I go to the acting school to teach that that's night. That's in you know, L.A.? That's in Dallas, Texas. Oh, but you're still in Dallas. Okay. Still in, still in Dallas. And I get a fax, and this fax is to audition for this purple dinosaur named Barney. <laughs> That's right, folks. David Joyner, his calling from from 1992 to 2000 was that vaunted purple dinosaur all of us have somehow had a connection to. So wh- how did you get started being this Barney dude? Well, when the facts came in and I read it, <laughs> the of Barney course it talked, about, it talked about being very animated, work well with children, and a great actor, and costume character work. Of course, I've never been in a costume before. So I initially turned it down. And as I explained that to the woman who ran the acting school, Linda Sito, she says, well, I think you should call the casting director, Shirley Abrams, and tell her personally, because she really wants you to audition for this part. Oh, she knew. So I called Shirley, and 
lo and behold, and I tell Shirley, I said, Shirley, I've never been in a costume before. I've never done this before. And she says, no, David, I think you're perfect. I've seen you work with those four- and five-year-olds, and I think you're amazing. She's like, I want you to really get this. I, I'm, I'm, I think you can do it. And I said, well, okay, Shirley, I'll, I'll do it for you. She says, I'm going to send you some home videos. I want you to study the parts so you'll be well-prepared. Now, Barney had already done some home videos, and a guy named David Voss at the time was inside the Barney costume. Okay. Well, David had gone gone to the Army, so now they were looking for someone to replace him. The Persian Gulf? No, this isn't the Persian Gulf War, is it? Uh, I'm sorry, say that again? No, the Persian Gulf War is happening around that time, just about. Right, right, exactly. Okay. Exactly. But he was shipping off maybe because of the war he wanted to serve, but served afterward. Okay, so the first Barney became a soldier, and now we have the uh, could-have-been preacher who's, um, with, uh, who's been working from in IT before we called it IT and working your way toward this script. And Shirley Ab- Abrams was, was her name? Shirley Abrams. Is she still around? No, Shirley passed a couple of years ago. Oh, my goodness. So yeah. she... She gave you the nudge of all nudges into an amazing stretch. Exactly. And, of course, the story is a little bit longer than that. Go for it. Yes. Well, okay. Well, being very spiritual, like I say, I always try to get to the spiritual aspect of things. Well, she sent me these videotapes, and I kept falling asleep watching these videotapes. (laughs) And I couldn't get it. So the night before the audition, I watched the videotapes again. I fall asleep. I get up to go to bed, and and I just prayed about it. I said, "Okay, God, you're just gonna have to help me out because you know I have no clue what I'm gonna do tomorrow on this audition." And so, in my dreams, a lot of times I have these very, very descriptive, vivid dreams. In this dream, Barney passes out, and I rush to Barney and give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Oh my! So I wake up the next morning, and I was like, "Wow, what was that all about?" So I'm driving to the audition still having no clue what I'm going to do. And I stop at a stoplight, and I look up at this sign, and it's a vacation billboard. And the sign read, breathe life into your vacation. (laughs) And I thought, and I'm just sitting there. I'm just sitting there minding my business. And one of the other things, I, I, I see 22s all the time. And that was my number growing up as sports, athletics. I always see, whenever I see a 22, I always stop and I pray. And I'm like, okay, I'm connected. Well, when I saw that, I looked at my, my uh, clock on the radio, and it was 1222. So I'm like, oh, okay. So it's breathe life into your vacation. I'm like, okay, that means something. So then as I'm driving along, I was like, ah, oh, the dream. You breathe life into Barney. That's why you were falling asleep. Into Barney your, was dead to you. Into your, vo- into your vocation, man. <laughs> so that now was like the premise of the audition. Oh, going perfect. into the audition and being as animated as possible, breathing life into this character. Oh, wow. And, of course, I had to set it up. Yes. So, How did you set it up? In the first audition, they had us wear this Halloween mask, and we just pretty much had to dance to this one of Barney's famous songs, Hey, Mr. Knickerbocker. Uh-huh. And so I go into the audition, and I'm very calm, very poised, very polite, and I'm greeting everyone with a hello, very calm, hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. And then I hear Shirley in the corner going, this is the guy I was telling you about. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Shirley. No pressure at all. None. So then they said, okay, you ready? I said, sure, no problem. They turned the music on, and it was like somebody turned on a light switch, and this big beam of light just went, Phew! 
and I just go into this dance, and I'm just jumping and leaping and being animated, and so I can see their faces and their reactions, and you hear, oh, oh my gosh, whoa, hey, whoa, whoa. So then as soon as it was over, music stops, says, thank you guys very much, appreciate it, have a great day. And walked out of the room, and, they, and you can hear this, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I'm walking out the door, then Shirley comes, and she grabs me, she's like, oh my gosh, David, that was amazing, that was amazing. I'm like, thank you, Shirley. Thank you for the opportunity. She's like, I will be calling you. And then sure enough, um, I got the call. Wow. And then that led to several different auditions and callbacks and then finally got the part. So I think the revelation here is I don't think any of us in our wildest imagination knew there was so much package inside that purple fella. I don't I don't think that you had all you didn't have enough opportunity to display what transformations and range that you've had uh, going into that character that you uh, blew some more uh, life into I do have and I think this is a it's a delight to hear about that today We're, well, uh, thank you this thank is you. I'm a firm believer that whatever's placed in front of you on your journey because we're, we're all on our own individual journeys and whatever you choose in your path or whatever is placed in front of you is a building block and a stepping stone to the next level and one of my prayers is always, okay, I'm ready for the next level. Take me to the next level. And everything is like a piece of the puzzle. And every part of your life has to fit a particular part of that puzzle. And a lot of times we go through lives and we may do things that we're ashamed of and we don't want to talk about. But when we do that, that's basically throwing away a piece of that puzzle. And then you get to a next level and you realize there's something missing. And my aspect is always, no matter what you've done in life, embrace that, learn from it, move from it, so that you can continue to keep that piece of your puzzle so that when you place that piece, wherever you place it on the board and it fits, then later on in life, when you've gone to a different level or you've taken on a different uh, vocation or whatever, it's like something that you did in the past led you to this. And because you embraced it, now opens you up to even more and helps you even further along in the journey. Uh, thank you. Uh, for those of my guests who've just joined us, we're listening to David Joyner, actor, entertainer, and yes, Barney. Barney from, two, from 1992 to the year 2000. And um, were there things that you, um, you were personally developing then uh, with those, the, the puzzle analogy to take it further, uh, that you did you have control a uh, great deal of latitude with the uh, creation of the character and the content that was uh, sent to the children in the programming um, yes and no because Barney was already a fixed structure um, in the home video series there were a lot of mannerisms and gestures that Barney pretty much had and they were adapted as Barney Barneyisms but yet when I did come along um, there was some certain things that I knew that I could bring to the table to add more validity and more value to the character. And one of the things that I did is I went to, um, and don't tell anybody this. Okay, we'll not, just the, my six friends who are listening. Okay, I went to Disney World. And when I was in Disney World, I studied the walk-around characters. And I studied how they interacted with the kids. I studied their mannerisms, their gestures, the little nuances, the little bitty things that they did 
that took them to a, another place of believability. So in a child's eye, you don't see a person in a costume. You don't even see the costume. You see this character that is now in front of you, and you believe in your whole heart of hearts this character is real. Okay. So I took on that in every aspect of being Barney. Now, keep in mind that Barney was one piece of a costume. The head didn't move. The head was connected to the body. That's right. The hands were like oven mitts. The face had no facial expression whatsoever. Only thing that would is the mouth would open and close. Now, and that was strange, David. That was strange, the face not moving ever. Exactly, but yet there was so much emotion in that costume. Right, okay. Why? Because the person inside had so much emotion coming out of the costume. One of the things that I always do is I pray before I get in costume, and I, I ask, God, allow your spirit to flow through me, through the costume, and let that draw the children. And just allow me just to be this vessel. And one of the great things about it is, there's a gentleman doing the voice, Bob West, who did the voice of Barney. I was going to ask you about that. Okay. so Bob somebody... West, phenomenal, phenomenal actor, phenomenal voiceover character, great guy. He would actually stand in the sound booth and do the voice at the same time that I'm moving the mouth. And now to move the mouth was a difficult task. Um, there was a bar connected to the bottom jaw that I wrapped sponge around, and I would grip this sponge with my mouth, and I would nod my head up and down. So every syllable was a nod, and we did it at the same time. No voiceover, not later on. It was done at the same time. Oh, masterful. Now, here's a piece of the puzzle. When I was seven years old, I knew I wanted to be on television so bad, I would stand in front of the TV and lip sync to different things that were going on. If it was the news, I became the newscaster, and I would become that person's body, Another moving puzzle. my mouth and gestures to whatever that person was saying. Okay. And as I grew up, it became like a big party gag. We would have someone talk, and I'd become their body. And I would do their gestures and move my mouth to whatever they were saying. As I became Barney, you it's were exactly what I did was as I was growing up. Wow, wow. <laughs> you put those puzzle pieces together, man. And even though we had a script on set, it also gave a lot of leeway to ad-lib and to do whatever we felt like doing in that creative moment. But the great thing was whenever we did talk shows and live interviews, the voice would be backstage watching a monitor, and I would be on the floor with the host. They'd ask the questions. I'd move the mouth and the gestures. You hear it coming out of the speakers. And yet, of course, you're standing right next to the costume going, okay, this costume's not making any noise, but yet this mouth is moving exactly to what I'm, I'm hearing on the speakers. So a lot of times we would get, how are you guys doing this? So we adapted this phrase called Dino Sync, and that became our coin phrase. Dino Sync? Like Dino Sync. Okay. Like S-Y-N-C. Right, not thinking, but syncing, synchronizing. Okay. Exactly. Wow. So that I, do you have the patent on that, uh, Texas Instruments, former employee? No, not at all. <laughs> but, so, wow, that's extraordinary. So we're, when you... What was it like to finish being Barney and look for some other? I mean, because you, you've had a lot of acting gigs on in uh, soap operas and, uh, you know, evening television and um, in films and that kind of a thing. Folks, you can look David Joyner up. He's got just a, a raft of appearances everywhere. But uh, when you were winding down from Barney, was that something? You, I mean, you were probably maybe eight years was enough time anyway to be Barney. Well, actually, it was it was 10 if you consider when I truly started, which was uh, 19... 
actually it was 2000, I mean, 1991, because I auditioned in 1990. 91 is when I really started doing Barney. And uh, Ten years. And in 2001, um, the show was about to go on hiatus, and they weren't sure how long they'd be on the hiatus. And this was, then, I was still in Dallas at the time. And I decided, I was married at the time also, decided um, if if I don't make that move to Los Angeles and try my hand at acting outside of the costume, then it's never going to happen. And keep in mind, I, I taught for nine years at the acting school in Dallas, Dallas Young Actors Studio. And so acting was my passion. And entertaining, basically, was the passion. So convinced my wife, you know, let's let's move to California, let's sell off everything, and let's let's try this. Let's make it happen. And so in 2001 is when I moved to California. But of course, I told the Barney people, I said, you know, don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm moving away and I will never do Barney anymore. I said, if you guys ever need me for anything, I'm here for you. And of course, once I moved to Los Angeles and joined Screen Actors Guild, um, I was no longer allowed to do the Barney television show because Barney was a non-union show. Oh, oh no. The dinosaur yes. is non-union. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's shot in Dallas, and Dallas is a non-union. Texas is a non-union state. Yes. But so. what happened was something really fun. Um, they contacted me and said, okay, we want to do a national campaign, coast to coast, where Barney appears in different malls. And um, so... I signed up to do these personal appearances as Barney, and not only did that, but then went to other countries and trained Barneys also. So uh. I did that for another four years. So total of 14 years of being Barney. Well, I know there's there's a lot to say about the entertainment you're doing. We're going to have to wrap this up pretty soon, and I thank you so much for uh, being available to talk this this really privileged sort of backdrop of uh, in the entertainment field for all of us to hear for the first time here, just uh, right after and around Halloween too, no less. This, so hip hip hop Harry was maybe a different contract. If you could say just a little bit about that before we we close and turn you loose with uh, your next gig that you're preparing for right now after this interview. Yeah, well, it was funny because as I moved to Los Angeles, and you know, it's like okay, I'm moving away from the costume characters, and then I get a meeting set up. Um, to talk about getting this new character off the ground, Hip Hop Harry. So as I was sitting in the meeting and uh, talking and sharing a lot about, you know, the ins and outs, do's and don'ts about children's television, one of the executive producers, you know, looked at me and says, okay, would you like to be Harry? And I was like, no, no, you know, I'm kind of out of the whole costume thing. And then he looks at me, he's, he says, no, 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 you don't understand. You're like the Michael Jordan of costume characters. Oh, my goodness. And I thought, oh, wow. He's like, you, we've studied all these Barney videos, and we've studied you. And, and so I said, I'm honored. Whatever it takes, whatever I need to do. And that's been the new chapter and the new journey, and it's just been an amazing journey. Well, that on that superlative note, I don't think you could aspire to be any any higher level of a of a costume character than than Mr. Hangs in the air, Michael Jordan. So that's a, that's a <laughs> phenomenal pronouncement. Well, I really want to thank you, David Joyner, for being my guest today on Ask a Leader. And we'll be watching for other uh, appearances and various, uh, well, new costumes. May, are there, well, well, we'll look and see if there's any new costumes. And maybe you come back on the show and talk about that and maybe some other campaigns that have been very uh, influential in region. Maybe we could get Barney to, uh, to do some... Um, 
talked the children into taking those immunizations in a more uh, intelligent way before the immunizations become a bigger problem than uh, than they are right now. That, I, so thank you, David Joyner, for being on our show. Thank you, and uh, uh, all the best. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Well, that was a treat to hear. I love you, you love me, we're a happy family, with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you, won't you say you love me too? <laughs> I love you. That was David Joyner. And we're going to wrap up today's show with a piece about supporting your radio station. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to the official beginning of the KUCI Fall Fun Drive for Radio KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. George Rosales, my weekly successor, stoking you with lively content, tunes, and comments, joins me in entreating your support of KUCI, your community station. The goal is 10,000 folks. We hope you're there for us. Ten of you can give a a thousand, one hundred of you can give one hundred, one thousand of you can give ten dollars, and we make our pledge drives a goal. So please do what you can. We're going to do what we can to keep making this community radio your one and only way of of staying connected with those that are doing great things amidst all of us. So stay tuned with George Rosales had a hat. George is the man who lead us into the thick of the fall fun drive. Thanks very much for joining us today.